You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Keita Deming of The Covenant Group. Keita helps people become coaches, and he helps to make coaching more accessible to a wider audience. We talk in this conversation about how coaching can be made more accessible to folks in co-working spaces, how we can do that maybe in a bit of a peer-to-peer way, and so much more in that direction. He studied for his PhD at the University of Toronto uh, in workplace learning and social change, developmental management, social and business innovation, and transformational learning. So this guy knows a lot about a lot. He also runs a podcast called Disruptive Conversations, and he recently interviewed Juicy Canada's Ashley Proctor, so you can check out uh, Keita Deming, K-E-I-T-A-D-E-M-M-I-N-G.com slash Disruptive Conversations to find that episode with Ashley. Speaking of Ashley Proctor and the Juicy Canada Conference, it's not too late to grab your ticket. It is October 29th to November 1st in Toronto. Head over to canada.juicy.co, C-A-N-A-D-A, obviously Canada, .gcuc.co to learn more about the awesome people that are going to be speaking at that conference. And I recommend you check out the agenda, look at who's coming, look at the who's coming page. Um, Just really some amazing people like Keita going to be there. So grab your ticket now while you still can, and I would love to see you there in Toronto. In the meantime, while you're getting yourself oriented on Juicy Canada stuff, have a listen to this conversation between me and Keita on this episode of Juicy Podcast. Kita, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Uh, I'm excited to be speaking with you. So am I. It's a, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So tell me a little bit about your relationship to co-working. How did you first learn about it? How did you end up in this world? So I've been involved in co-working on the sidelines for a very, very long time. So. I think I was first introduced to the concept in Toronto, actually in Waterloo, a space called Treehouse. And it was a small co-working space. And I was like, whoa, I love this concept. And the first company I ever started was called Village Seed Solutions because I still believe today that it takes villages to create community, to create create great things in this world, whether you're creating a company or whatever, it, it, you have to create a village. Um, so I've always kind of been drawn to community and villages. So I will, so co-working or co-working spaces have been part of my habits, routines. I, I, I visit them often and now I just spend, I'm actually just work out of one and quite love um, the community that brings it and creating the village around it. So tell me a little bit about how you kind of ended up going the direction you've gone with the work that you're doing now. Like, tell me about what you're working on today and, and how it kind of intersects with this world. So primarily, I'm, I'm a business coach and consultant. We help people redefine their performance through a coaching process that we have. So I, in developing or believing in community, I fundamentally think that everybody needs a mentor and everybody needs a coach. 
And co-working spaces do that in a very organic, natural way where people are coaching each other and mentoring each other when they bump into each other in that community. I do that formally. So I do that in a number of ways. Number one, I built a platform called Coach and the Go that basically runs entrepreneurs through, it's like an, a mini MBA on how to build a business from the ground up. So we've taken all of our content and put it onto Coach and the Go and people can go through, they build a business plan, teach you how to have a sales conversation, how to integrate marketing, sales and service, how do you do projections, how do you do an income statement. So we do all of that on Coach and Go. So you don't need to pay coaches because one of the problems with coaching is that coaching is a very high cost item and a lot of people they need the coaching, but they can't afford it. So what we were trying to do with Coach and Go and what we've done is made that more accessible to any kind of entrepreneur who wants to grow and build a business. So that's number one. So building off of that, we run something called the Business Builder Academy where people who want community and they want perspective on perspective, so they come to the academy to work with other entrepreneurs. So we're launching one on November 4th and there are about 40 entrepreneurs in there they're all high-performing entrepreneurs. They all have significant companies. They come for a one-day workshop, and then they get coaching, one-on-one coaching in between, and we build that out, and we really approach it like a community. And that's primarily how I spend my days. And then ever so often, companies ask me to do custom design work for them, um, and then we do consulting around um, business development or coaching as an approach to building community. So for example, we have a coaching model which we partnered with the University of Toronto that's called solution-focused coaching. And we teach people how to take a solution-focused approach in all the things that they do. So behind what we're doing is we're really focusing on how do I build a better conversation with somebody because we primarily and fundamentally believe that everything happens in dialogue and in conversation with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you also have a podcast and uh, you recently uh, interviewed uh, some folks around some of the topics around this, including uh, Juicy Canada organizer, Ashley Proctor. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I run a podcast called Disruptive Conversations. And so I'll tell you a little bit about how that came about. Uh, I, If you look at the history of organizational studies and how people think about organizations, we thought about organizations as machines. And when I was doing my master's, I, I did a, ended up doing a PhD around understanding how we, how we build community and social innovation stuff. But in looking at the history of organizational thinking, we used to think about organizations as machines. People were cogs in a wheel that we could just replace parts. And I came across this author called Patricia Shaw, and I fell in love with her whole concept. And there's a whole movement around this. And she described organizations as conversations. If you change a conversation in an organization, you transform the organization. When I first read that about 10 years ago, I thought, man, this, she's, she's onto something. And ever since that, I've been fascinated with conversations. And what I've come to realize is that 
all of us get caught up in habits, routines, and processes that keep us be in a particular space where we are right now. And if we want to move from where we are to where we want to be, we have to disrupt our habits, routines, and norms, and our patterns. And that's how I came up with the concept of disruptive conversations. So what are the conversations that you need to disrupt to take you from where you are to where you want to be? And that's the concept. So I interview anybody who's trying to disrupt a sector or system and sort of break down the different elements around how do people have disruptive conversations internally, externally, and with the sector or system they're trying to disrupt. Gotcha. And, and so how did that go in terms of your conversation with Ashley? Oh, Ashley was great. I, I love talking to people who, so there are kind of three kind of people I talk to. They're academics. There are, um, there are academics. There are people who've like written books or that kind of thing. And then there are people who've just kind of built it in a scrappy um, grassroots kind of way. And Ashley is definitely one of those people who really followed a, a, a passion and was able to create, I think, some really great initiatives that are, that are beneficial to the whole community. I, I, I really enjoyed my conversation with that. You can check out the podcast for sure. Awesome. And uh, in terms of where you're going next, what are you, what are you focused on now? What's exciting for you going forward? So I, I'm, well, number one, I'm looking forward to Juicy Conference. I'm going to be doing a talk at the conference and talking about uh, how conversations fit within, I think, everything we do, the work that people do, et cetera. And specifically around disruptive conversations and how that plays into things. Um, what's next on my horizon is really focusing on how do I make coaching more accessible to people who are trying to build beautiful things in this world. So the way we've structured our world is that really, really high quality. We live in a world that's about supply and demand. So something like coaching, I can only be really coaching 1% at a time. So how do I make that more accessible to more and more people? And I think that's the problem that I would like to be trying, trying to solve in the next two, three years is, is there a way for us to get high quality education for people who want to build interesting things and solve interesting problems in this world? Is there a way for us to build a coaching platform that helps them do that in a meaningful way, gives them the steps and the guides and a sort of a blueprint. And I don't even want to say blueprint because I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of blueprints, but a framework within which to operate that lets them know what direction they need to head in, if that makes sense. So my, for my next um, five years, I really want to focus on building community both online and offline with people who are trying to build high-performing businesses, people who are trying to build organizations that are solving interesting problems, and people who really see that there's a lot of value in us rethinking um, or building for-purpose companies, so companies that are 
or organizations that are really focused on building community, focused on how do we address some of the most pressing problems in our world. That's kind of where I would like to spend the next five years of my life. And I think we have, have some interesting things in the pipeline that can help build that out. So you use the phrase for purpose companies, which is a phrase I'm familiar with, but not necessarily everyone is. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about what your definition is of that word, why it's significant, and maybe how it relates to co-working spaces and, and the folks that you're going to be meeting at this conference? So purpose for purpose companies are companies that are driven by a purpose. So one of you, one of let's I'll put it a different way. The dominant paradigm that we exist in the world right now has only paid attention to one stakeholder, and that's the shareholder. I fundamentally think that that framework or paradigm is not working and is a broken kind of system. We've forgotten all the other stakeholders involved. So to me, there's, I don't understand the idea of running a company where we're not treating our employees in a ethical and high quality manner. So trying to run a company where you're paying employees as low as possible and trying to get as much out of them as possible, I think it doesn't make sense to me in terms of trying to build a high, high performing organization. All the research tells us if you invest in people, if you pay attention to people, you pay them well, and you build a high culture, their output will help you make, will be bigger than if you try to stifle them and try to squeeze as much out of them as possible and pay them as little as possible. So a good example of that would be Four Seasons. So a company like Four Seasons really focuses on their people and their kind of premises. If they invest in the people, the people will invest in the customers and those customers will then help build a fantastic organization. So what we've done is in terms of four purpose companies is that four purpose companies to me pay attention to all of the stakeholders, not just shareholders. So that's how I would see, that's how I think about purpose where people are driven by a purpose bigger than themselves and they're all rallying around this and they bring all of their time, energy, creativity, and intelligence to this job. So another way to think about that is that when I get a job, I choose to bring my creativity and intelligence to that job. I always have to bring my time. So in a for-purpose company where everybody has bought into the purpose, the vision is widely shared, widely known, widely believed. Everybody believes that. People bring, not just their time, they bring their creativity and intelligence as well. So that's what I mean by a four-purpose company, that one that pays attention to all of the stakeholders and really taps into all of the potential of the human beings working in that organization. Right. And so what, what I find interesting is that with co-working, we are seeing an opportunity to create a radically different relationship between people and their work and to cultivate that so that, you know, other people who are starting their businesses in these co-working spaces can themselves create businesses that have uh, a different relationship with their work. Right. So how I see co-working is that 
we we built a world that is particularly in North America where we it's based on this pioneering idea this rugged individual idea where what i think is great about co-working is that it takes us back to community and villages which is a fundamental thing that i think made us humans thrive in a back when we were neanderthals so in the early days of human development those versions of humans or those branches of the human species that went out and were isolated and they were by themselves they didn't survive the ones that came and worked in community and worked in team and worked together those were the ones that survived and i think there's a lot of value in really appreciating that it is about community it is about villages and i th- and one on one doesn't make two in that context one on one makes three it makes four it makes five and I, that's where i see the value of co-working spaces where it's an interesting way to bring back villages and address things like isolation depression all of the kinds of symptoms that we see in today's world and you can correct me you might have a different take on that i don't know what what are your thoughts on that i have the exact i i believe i agree completely and i think that uh we're still in very early stages of appreciating the magnitude of the reorganization of our of our thinking as a society uh you know enabled by technology and i think uh everything you're talking about super important and what i find what i find interesting is i'm actually tying it back to what you were talking about originally with the coaching practice where something like that in a co-working space is important because in a i guess in a tribal setting you have elders right um it's not quite the same setup in like in this modern day and age but um you need to have people who are there to help each other and whether it's peer to peer or whether it's expert to apprentice you know um but i think having that environment and recognizing that it's an environment where everybody is there not just to consume the services but to uh collaborate and to co-create together i think that gives you a starting point to do a lot of really creative interesting things yeah so you you talk about you talk about um you have elders in a in a community i think that's one of the things that's really backward about how we build our world we we've isolated the elders we put them in nursing homes and we sort of think that they have no value so after 65 people are meant to retire and then do what those people have tremendous value tremendous experience and people are living to 95 85 95 in today's world the whole notion that people need to retire at 65 is crazy because now you have people who are living 20 years beyond what people used to live people used to die at 35 40 that's what the life expectancy was so having an age of retirement of 65 made sense because most people weren't living that that long in today's world you have people dying at 85 95 and have a lot to contribute to that scenario in that scenario but what you're seeing in that demographic is isolation depression loneliness etc so the co-working space to me is a return to villages it's a return to community it's a way of us tapping into that and i and i would love to be able to see a space where we have 
because there's there's one of the issues around co-working spaces is that in some at least in my some of the ones that I've been to, it's predominantly privileged, white, um, young kind of crowd. You don't get a lot of older kind of folks getting into some co-working co-working cultures and spaces. There's some that are doing a much better job of that. So some that are focused on women only, some that are focusing on mothers, some is those kind of things that are happening. And I think everything starts small and and eventually builds. The potential is that if co-working can go mainstream and you genuinely have people who have more experience working with young entrepreneurs. So somebody who's in, who's about to retire, he's been an entrepreneur for 30 years and he's having a conversation with somebody who's just starting their business. I think that's, that's where I see the magic of co-working space happening. And what I just said is not characteristic of all co-working spaces. That can manifest in some versions of co-working spaces, just to be clear on that. Absolutely. And what, what I'm finding, if you look at the stats uh, across globally, uh, you know, from desk mag surveys, things like that, is that co-working has become very diverse in terms of who shows up there. And I would argue that the, from what I can tell, this is my subjective opinion, but I think the most impactful and interesting co-working spaces are probably the ones that are the most age diverse, the most diverse in general. I was being yeah, diverse but, um, in general, if most diverse have, in general, yeah. Absolutely, of course. But uh, just to focus on the age specifically, I think um, when you have, and I've had this in my space, I've had a, a, I've had a 16-year-old and a 61-year-old in the, in the room at the same time, and the you can just feel the incredible amount of perspective that you can synthesize from having people with such perspectives in the room, right? One person could tell you about, you know, their experience in business from 30 or 40 years ago. One can tell you about exactly where things are going and how the new generation thinks and all of that stuff all in the same room. So there's, there's a lot of potential in that. Sure. I'll give you a concept that I, I learned from my mother um, and it's called yoking. And yoking refers to, it's actually the bar or the, it's usually a piece of wood that connects two oxen, two oxes that are plowing land. And what they often do is they pair a young ox with an older ox. The older ox is slow, steady, and pause the course in a particular way. The young ox is vibrant, overly zealous, and moves forward really hard. The tension between the young ox and the old ox creates the ideal scenarios for plowing the land, for fertilizing that land and getting that land ready for, for planting, etc. And that concept of yoking, I think, is something that I've always loved it and I've used it in all kinds of contexts. But I, I think that's what we're talking about here. If you can build a community where there's lots of yoking happening, where the tension and the excitement and vigor of young people is paired with wisdom and the, the slowness or the, the, the insights of experience, I think that's a really powerful combination. I completely agree. And so, uh, and so just to kind of like come kind of bring root us back down into to kind of actionable things that maybe people listening can appreciate. I think one of the things I've, I've been 
picking up from this conversation to root this more in kind of day-to-day language, the coaching practice, making that more accessible, giving people the ability to have access to that. Um, how do you see if like somebody is listening to this, who's running a co-working space, um, how can they make it more accessible? What do you see as being possible there that maybe somebody listening to this could do that they could take away as an action from listening to this? Maybe do you have a, a specific resource you can point people to or anything like that that you'd recommend? Yeah. So one, one of the first things I think everything starts small. So one of the things that people happens with people is that they, they say, okay, um, we want to embed we want to take this new approach to X. So they, they, what they try to do is they try to transform the entire organization by doing it, etc. But I, I really believe in really, really small experiments. So coaching, embedding coaching into your, into your daily kind of routine or conversations is quite simple. And I'll give you one question you can just start with. What are your best hopes for our time together? If you start with that question, what that question does is it gets people to think about what are their goals, their aspirations, their dreams. And then if you're focusing on that, this is how I start every single meeting. Every meeting I have with somebody, I say, in our time together, what would make our time most valuable? What would make this time valuable to you? That person now tells me all the things that, is valid, that are valuable to them. That conversation can be a sales conversation. It can be a coaching conversation. It can be whatever. But I'm always starting with their interest, with their end in mind. So a very practical thing you can do is just start with, what are your best hopes for our time together today? Very, very simple. And that alone can change how you have conversations inside an organization. Now, there's a whole, um, we teach people how to use a very specific approach and we teach people how to ask questions, et cetera. So you're not going to be able to be like a coach just from that one question. But that question, I think, can make a massive difference in the way people approach their work, how they find solutions, where they look for solutions, um, how it reframes things. Does that, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And so if somebody wanted to learn more about this, uh, would love any links you can share, anything uh, that you can direct people to uh, if they want to learn. Yeah. So the best way to find me is my coach my business the covenant group. So covenant group.com. And if you search key to Deming, you'll find my personal website, key to Deming.com. You'll find my, um, my podcast and the kinds of things that I'm involved in and feel free to reach out to me. I'm on most of the social media. I'm Kay Deming. I'm not the best at social media at the moment because I'm having an interesting relationship with social media. Um, I think like most people, we're all having a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of unsure whether or not I want to be on social media anymore. So, um, but generally my hashtag is my, my handle is K Deming. So that's where you can find me. And I fundamentally believe that conversations change the scripts and help us form new norms, patterns, and routines. And a big part of that is coaching. So I really believe in building 
organizations around mentoring and coaching. Love it. I feel like the co-working movement has been in one way, a very long conversation for the last 14 years or so. And, uh, and I, I identify. The other thing too, is that I do coaching and mentoring informally. All I do is I just do it in a formal way. That, that's the only difference. That's, that's what, to me, a really good co-working space embeds mentoring and coaching throughout the community in a sort of informal way. All I do is the formal side of it. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, I'm excited to meet you very soon at the Juicy Canada conference and we could keep the conversation going there. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm giving a talk on, I think, the Wednesday. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be talking about disruptive conversations and how you use disruptive conversations in your in your own working life. And I'm looking forward to it. It's, I'm always excited to meet people who are part of a movement that I think will become mainstream on part of the dominant um, culture as we move forward. So what I love about co-working spaces is that at one point it was quite a subculture, it's quite a counterculture. And I think thanks to unfortunate players like WeWork and stuff, they've made it mainstream, but they've also made it easier for people to accept the idea of working with other people. I'll give you a quick story. If you, the history of elevators is that, I don't know, not a lot of people might notice. I just, I read this book on elevators once. I don't know why I did that, but um, when they first introduced elevators, most buildings were about six stories tall. And the most expensive build rooms were at the bottom and the cheapest ones were at the top. So if you listen to history and you talk about writers tend to be in the attic, et cetera, and artists tend to be in the attic because that was the cheapest room. Then they in- invented elevators and elevators got safer, et cetera, largely due to things better engineering around business um, building structures, et cetera. And it took a long time for people to get used to the idea of sharing um, a lobby or entranceways with people they didn't know or strangers that they didn't know. It took about 20 years for people to really buy into that idea because people were used to living in single dwelling housing or houses that had four or five stories, etc. So it took a long time for the whole concept of a apartment to be something that people would accept. The other thing that took a long time was that it flipped where the most expensive building or room or floor today is the top floor and the least expensive is the bottom floor in today's world. And if you look at history, that's kind of how things end up changing. Things change slowly, 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 and then suddenly. And I think the same thing is going to happen or is happening with co-working. That's uh, I, I see that. I see that too. It's incredible. It's incredible to witness it. Yes, and it's going to be part of it. It's really good to be part of any kind of movement like that. I love it. Well, uh, Keita, I'm glad we got a chance to chat and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Likewise, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. All right, take care. So there you have it, my conversation with Keita Deming of the Covenant Group. 
You got some links, you got some new podcast episodes to check out after you're done with this one. And I hope I get to see you at Juicy Canada. That's October 29th to November 1st in Toronto. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, check it out at canada.gcuc.co. Would love to see you there. And in the meantime, uh, in your city, wherever you are, whatever you're doing to make the world a better place, keep it up. Don't give up. Do all the good work that you're doing and keep being awesome.